Welcome to the episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And it's a new month, so it's a new genre. And we're talking about the romantic comedy. Are you excited, Thomas? Oh, yeah. I feel like we... we well, you know, we, we, we did... Uh, we had a little concert footage, a little concert film interlude, but we, we had some real downers at the end of... Uh, <laughs> the end of 2022 as far as genres go so yeah i'm looking forward to some some uppers yeah and and i mean and the thing with what we've never really fully gone we did the screwball comedy genre before which is kind of the early example of a rom-com it kind of was used when the when the the code or the pre-code era when you could kind of do certain things that you weren't allowed to when the Hayes code came in um, and that kind of ran for about 10 years. We kind of, we talked about that on the podcast last year. We always try to do something kind of romance centric, I guess you could say for February. Mm-hmm. And we did erotic thrillers last year. So we've been really pushing off rom-coms until now. And so we're finally going to talk about romantic comedies. Hopefully you're all, all, all excited about this. And on this episode, it's actually our 250th episode, Thomas. Can you believe it? Wow. <laughs> How do we get here? It's it's the question. <laughs> a lot of movies. Um, a lot of movies. A, a lot more than 250, actually, when you add all the director episodes we talked about. Um, granted, the podcast for the first 69 episodes is a vastly different show. Um, but anyway. Um, but yeah, we're talking about romantic comedies. And so, Thomas, when you think of romantic comedies, like, what do you think of? What's what's some what's some tropes, some some themes, some stories? I mean, I'm I'm very steeped in the in the romantic comedy because I had an older sister who yeah. uh, was obsessed with them, kind of right in, I would say like the 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 golden age into the like decline of decline. the golden age of the rom com. Like, yeah, I saw, uh, you know, I saw Runaway Bride in theaters, uh, yeah. and I saw. You know, that, that, I guess that is kind of the decline. How to lose a guy in ten days in theaters, uh, two weeks notice in theaters. Um, so you know, it was kind of at that point when like the stars of the era had been defined, but then the the, yeah. the quality kind of started dropping. Um, and then you know, I saw. Uh, did you hear about the Morgans in yeah, theaters? Yeah, yeah. So you know, that was yeah. that was the toward the end of of, of it all. But, yeah. um, you know, I think about kind of those those standard actors from the like late 80s going into the early 2000s. You think Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts, Richard Gere and going mm-hmm. into like McConaughey, Kate Hudson, Reese Witherspoon, uh, Sandra Bullock. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just it, it, it all kind of got to be i think i think this will be an interesting one to dive into today because when you go back and look at like what passed as a rom-com and say like the 70s it was very, yeah, very different very grounded and and you know i i when, when we were talking about doing rom-coms this month i just kind of googled like the best rom-coms of all time and like one that popped up was uh the heartbreak kid which i love i, yeah. I love that movie <laughs> but like i would not think it's so cynical and dark yeah. and i i would not think of it as like a rom-com uh, yeah. And then you've got, you know, like Woody Allen at that point. And, and, and it turned into something a little bit closer, I think, to screwball comedies as you mm-hmm. got into kind of the nineties, like the, the setups got a little less realistic. They, they got a little less concerned about like 
how real people would react in in these situations you know and got uh-huh. and, and 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 kind of started playing into formulas and and trying to like top formulas and and so it it ultimately became i think this like the like the modern rom-com of the late 90s early 2000s became this genre in its own that that we'll mm-hmm. we'll explore a little bit but like you know what um it it just became its own thing outside of of any other era of of screwball comedy or or rom-com and and so i think this one in particular is one that kind of sets the mold for everything that came after it um it it, it was kind of the bridge between those more human realistic romantic comedies of the 70s and then going into what we would get in the 90s yeah and and the movie he's alluding to is we're when Harry Met Sally, if you didn't see the title on the podcast. Um, and When Harry Met Sally is definitely kind of that bridge between that 70s, 80s kind of cynical nature. Uh, Grant Land, I looked at one of their old articles about how When Harry Met Sally was kind of like you said, the bridge between the almost like niche, cynical Woody Allen, New York kind of movies mm-hmm. to what the rom-com became yeah and they even like pinpointed also they're also talking about kind of the the jewishness of the movies and how woody allen movies were were super kind of very jewish with woody allen kind of humor and the jewish humor of those movies and this kind of like brought it down a little bit Mm -hmm. and because it was successful grantland was arguing that it was a essentially inspired like the rise of the new york tv shows like um friends and seinfeld mm-hmm. and how uh with both those two like how the, the example of seinfeld is how like the first seinfeld episode didn't have a lane mm-hmm. and then a year later which is a, i think i think it's seinfeld the pilot episode comes out in 89 the same year as this movie and then a year later the show starts airing but they ha- they've added a lane mm-hmm. and he they were kind of arguing that that the popularity of when harry met sally possibly kind of altered that structure of that show because of the Sally character and to get this female perspective um, and also in kind of the New York atmosphere. Um, But yeah, kind of before this in the eighties, I'm looking at kind of the list and there is kind of this, um, uh, the movies they're grounded in reality, but they're always, there's always with this, this genre, there's always some kind of like hook to it. And so like before when Harry met Sally, you have like broadcast news which is like a dramedy mm-hmm. more so than a real because it actually spoiler alert they kind of don't really end up together yeah. it's this love triangle um and then you have like bull durham um coming to america working girl and that was that kind of 80s uh new york business that was happening uh, with the yeah. yuppie generation yeah where it's like and everyone's like, playing all with those... that format all those I would call like romantic comedies, but I wouldn't call them like a rom-com, you know? Yeah. If, if somebody, there's, a, there's, there's a, there's a different tone to them all. Yeah. If, a if somebody said all. like, I'd like a, you know, if someone says I'd like a good romantic comedy, I would absolutely say broadcast news. I love broadcast news. But if someone's like, I'm, I'm just really feeling like a rom-com tonight. I would not, I, I would automatically get the feeling they would be disappointed in broadcast news. <laughs> <laughs> You're wanting something very lighthearted. Yeah. And the opening of when you kind of introduce Holly Hunter is she's crying on the bed, like essentially, and she's mm-hmm. always having nervous breakdowns. 
Now, that rom-com, when you come into the 90s, it's, it's there's kind of these little twists that they have. It's the, while you were sleeping, it was my best friend's wedding. Mm-hmm. It was um, uh, as good as it gets, the wedding singer. Like, um, the, the, the wonderful classic One Fine Day with George Clooney and Michelle Pfeiffer. Like, it's always, <laughs> there's some sort of twist that happens. And, and, and then you always have these, what happens when the genre gets big for a bit then you start seeing kind of it popping up in like the teen genre so mm. like you could argue like with woody allen in the, in the 70s well what kind of happens in the 80s john hughes is kind of weirdly the similar type movies but for younger audiences mm-hmm. and then you look at kind of i'm looking at kind of the list now it's like well you have she's all that and 10 things i hate about you coming up at the end of the 90s which feels very much in line with what's happening with the main genre of the rom-com. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you said with the rom-com, that when you get into the mid-2000s, I think now, early to mid-2000s, you're seeing the movies that people are nostalgic for nowadays, I think. <laughs> if you look at, say, Hallow's Guy in 10 Days, if you look at 13 Going on 30, mm-hmm. Love Actually. Sweet Home um, Alabama. Sweet Home Alabama, that can't forget that i'm gonna add the list on the list that's surprising got it Randomly. you left you left an ethan Embry film off of one of our letterbox lists brandon i i left a movie that says alabama in the title <laughs> off the list that's no, I, was, the I was just thinking more of your love for ethan Embry, but i know, you know I do love ethan Embry. uh but like, I'll, but it's interesting kind of looking at now when you when you're kind of talking about the downfall of the genre is that you almost the downfall when you have this this would be a whole other like you could do a whole expose on this of like when Hugh Grant and Matthew McConaughey decide we're going to stop doing rom coms, that's when the genre. I think. I think. Yeah. I, I think that's. <laughs> there, there's two things I think about uh, when I think about the downfall of the rom com, and it is a fool's gold, yep. which is which feels like McConaughey's like rock bottom, and then mm-hmm. like what launches the McConaughey's, and yep. B I think of all the Gary Marshall holiday movies. Yeah. Uh, Gary Marshall, who I love, and made a, a I think a, a almost perfect rom com with Pretty Woman, but yes, when it was that post Love Actually, where everyone's like, oh, we got to have a big ensemble romantic film. Valentine's and Day, New Year's Valentine's Eve, Day, Mother's Day. Yes, <laughs> it was. It was. It it was reaching at Mother's Day. I have to say, with mm-hmm. with, with with the name, um, but uh, but yeah, it was very much like, and, and I think. I think there is a place for those movies. Yeah. If done well, I, I, it's I hate or love love. Actually it's there, there is a charm to it. Yeah. I, uh, I, 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 yeah, I don't want to come off like we're uh, talking down on, on this like quote unquote rom-com because that's kind of what yeah. we're here to celebrate this month. But, yeah. but it is something very specifically there's, there's a, there's a, specificity to it like you have to yeah. be it has to be happy it has to end with everybody getting back together and 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 while it might sound kind of simple and and, and trite yeah. like there if, if when done really well there's something great about it and and people love it and and i love it um yeah you know i, I don't i don't think we're covering it this month but um i'm sure we'll bring it up a couple of times because it's kind of what launched the the rebirth i think in my mind of the, of the late two thousands. But um, if I'm flipping channels and the proposal is on TV, I'm watching, I'm sitting and watching it. Like, yeah, well that's a period where like 
because I remember we talked about this before. I don't know if it's talked on the show, but like with the rom com, you kind of had like how I put this the 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 slow death of it when it felt like we're just let's put some big movie stars and mm-hmm. that makes it's it was like something about we'll talk about today with when Harry met Sally is that like Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan weren't big movie stars when this movie came out. And so it got to appear in that mid two thousands where it kind of felt like let's put these two on the rise movie stars in a movie together. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I think the one that I think comes to mind is like no reservations is like one where Mm -hmm. it's like Aaron Eckhart's on the rise. Kenzie Jones is this Oscar winning actress and that's one that's just kind of middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also have like the 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 twist of the like the Judd Apatow genre coming in of mm-hmm. like knocked up or yeah um, yeah, which I definitely think is what what killed the 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 bromantic comedy is kind of what killed off the genre for a while. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think we'll discuss a lot of things. I mean, I, there's so many so many things I love about this, this genre. Like I said I. <laughs> Give me a Hugh Grant movie I don't like is kind of what I say. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, um, it's you know like, what, a, at... a discussion I had with my family over Christmas, and I think we we talked about it a little bit with our um, Nor Ephron uh, mm-hmm. episode when we when we covered yeah. her filmography. Something we were talking about, you know. I think I I, I think I put on uh, You've Got Mail, and yeah. my dad was like, "Well, here's a question: like, what's a better rom com? You've Got Mail or?" sleepless in seattle and my sister and i were both like i don't think of sleepless in seattle as a rom-com i think of it as a romance film i don't i don't think it's very funny like i like it it's i think it's a <laughs> compelling you, you've got rosie in there making a couple jokes but overall i don't think it's concerned with being a comedy like it's a movie about two people who are very sad <laughs> like finding love with each other but I, I think that is ultimately the difference i would say if you're talking like a romantic comedy versus like a rom-com I think if you were to watch those two movies side by side, that's that's your that's your like difference. Yeah, you're, you're you're arguing a romantic comedy is basically a a a, a, a romantic comedy like *Sleepless in Seattle* is a romance with comedy elements in it. Mm-hmm. With a rom com, you're saying it's more of a balance yeah. between the two. And you know, even if something sad happens in a rom com, it's not really sad i mean think about think about the holiday when yeah. kate winslet almost like thinks about committing suicide in that one scene and it's just kind of played for laughs like <laughs> you know that scene in the tone of sleepless in seattle is a very different scene yeah well it's you have that very early on scene when when tom hanks is talking about his his dead wife mm-hmm. and talking to uh, it's not Delilah, but in my mind, yes, it's always yeah. Delilah mm-hmm. that he's talking to. <laughs> it's Doctor something, Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's very sad moments, and and the tone of it is is very different. Yeah, it's like you're talking about Nora Ephron because she directed Sleep of Seattle. You've got mail, and then she wrote um, this movie. I mean, it's the holy trinity of, of <laughs> romantic comedies. Uh, maybe not rom coms as you're describing it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that is that is a more somber kind of tone mm. early on um i think bill pullman however is in the rom-com i will say <laughs> bill, bill pullman is kind of the rom the most rom-com character in that in mm-hmm. that bunch um and may rita wilson and that brings up the tropes of like the other boyfriend because i want to talk mm-hmm. about tropes here because this is a very tropey genre the other boyfriend 
the friends that become lovers, the uh, the best friend, like all these are part of the genre. I was I was going to uh, propose this to you. I forgot. I, I thought about texting you about this weekend, but I'll, I'll propose it here as a little ad for our Patreon. I really want to do a rom com supporting character Hall of Fame okay. for Patreon this month. We'll do it if, if you want to come on. If you if I get you on two Patreons this episode this month, that'd be great. I've already Thomas. got the list. We can knock that one out okay. in like a half hour. I'm... Half hour. <laughs> All right, BB Newworth and Green Card. Parker right Posey. Parker Posey. Uh, uh, who? I mean, yeah, it's Bill Pullman. If you want to put in there, I mean, do you, do you <laughs> we don't want to give it all away. Okay, okay, it's okay. Patreon. That's that's pay, paid. Yeah, content. pay for the Patreon. Okay, so that that's here first, guys. I'm not hearing. I've not heard about this till now. We're going to do a, a Patreon hall of, or a Patreon rom com supporting actor Hall of Fame supporting actor actress Hall of Fame. Um. But yeah, so a lot of different tropes, a lot of different character types. And as I've said, or as we've said, when Harry Met Sally feels like kind of the template of what this would be. And I think if you look at Ethan, what did I watch? Oh, like I, I watched Marry Me not long ago. And it's like New York plays a plays a um a part in that kind of storyline. Mm-hmm. Like New York becomes like New York's a character of it all. Now, granted that's already happened and kind of the and i know he's 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 canceled and he'll, he'll, his name will be mentioned several times and that's woody allen but that was part of his kind of shtick earlier uh, in his enough career. so that that's a joke they make several times and they came together yes like you could really yes. say new york was the third person in our love the third story. Person story yeah um and that kind of becomes this part of the genre. no it was no what was it it was um the Zoe Deutsch movie that just came out at something at Tiffany's. Yes. That was where New York was a massive part of. And that's one, when you watch it, it feels like, all right, what works about these other rom-coms and can we put it all in this? But here's this little twist to it, to try to try to make it different mm-hmm. is their idea. Um, but today to get here, we're talking about when Harry met Sally released in 1989 um, written by Nora Ephron and directed by Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner, who we have talked about now three times on the show in the past year with his <laughs> movies, with Stand By Me, A Few Good Men, Now and Harry Met Sally. Three movies of his incredible five-movie run, and we've now talked about the first in the run, <laughs> the last in the run, and now we're hitting dead center of the run with Harry Met Sally. All three vastly different movies. And the cast of this movie includes Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan, Carrie Fisher, Bruno Kirby. If you don't know what Harry Met Sally, it's basically, it's two people who they meet once, they hate each other. They meet twice, they still hate each other. They meet three times and they become friends. And then soon enough, their love for one another's friends develops into something more. And they are tempted to explore a relationship. And when they try it, everything goes wrong that's the movie um and so thomas this is one i know i think we've both seen many many times over the years mm-hmm. so what's kind of your history when harry met sally and can we be are, are we gonna be biased this this entire episode because i feel like i might be <laughs> is the thing but i think i'm in the right with my bias is the thing I, I I so this one I I came to probably a little bit later in my rom com journey because it is R, so it was okay. one like I knew of, 
um, but I probably didn't see until I was like 13 or 14 as opposed to when uh-huh. I was like eight getting dragged to uh, see Runaway Bride in theaters. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, it was so I had a very healthy respect for the genre at that point, but it was one that was always kind of built up as as kind of being this big crossover. I used to I think it was ABC used to do like a bunch of like AFI partner yes. ups. They do like yes. the greatest movie quotes of all time or yes. then the, 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 yeah, that, that was like 10 year run of AF. The, the, first, it was the greatest movies, then it became like the 100 greatest laughs of all yeah, time. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the funniest comedies. scenes of all time. Yeah, I definitely yeah. had seen the deli scene like multiple times before I saw this mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, by the time I saw it, I knew that it was kind of this critically respected rom com and you know, it lives up to that. But, uh, you know, it was very familiar with, with, uh, meg ryan and billy crystal at that point and, and then yes it's something i've revisited many many times since then mm-hmm. but I, yeah. I definitely tr- i tried to watch it in a, in a more critical light this time so we'll have some we'll have some discussions about that yeah it's it's a, yeah i'm intrigued to see what you think of that because it's one that i i i kind of watch every year now it's we've talked about this uh i think when we talked about our new year's eve episode on our new year's eve look back episode on patreon of how like when harry met sally i kind of say once once you get november you're in when harry met sally season where you're mm-hmm. getting november or november december you're getting thanksgiving and christmas and then new year's eve and you kind of have all of that in the movie um and i know and, and i listened to the commentary for this and it was between rob reiner nor efron and billy crystal and how efron very specifically used holidays as part of the movie and that's now i think that's one one reason why the movies had such longevity is because of those holiday connections that people can put on around the holiday season. Like, oh, if this feels like a Christmas movie, this feels like a, a new year's Eve movie um, or a Thanksgiving film. Um, and Reiner talked about how those are good fence posts because it's also times where it shows you when you want to be around people. And it's also shows when you're not around people, you're the loneliest. It kind of can feel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, this movie I, I probably came to in high school. Cause I, I, I feel like, like you said, I watched a lot of rom coms growing up uh, with with a sister and a mom that we and we also just we went to a lot of movies. I went to a lot of movies growing up, and so it's like I'd be like, oh yeah, I remember seeing what what women want in theaters. I was mm-hmm. for some re- I for some reason saw it in theaters. I feel like I saw you've got mail in theaters. If not, that was a rental from Blockbuster because um, it was Tom Hanks. Um, but when Harry Met Sally, I think was high school, and I think this was one that was very influential influential to me especially as someone who wanted to be a writer where um i had dialogue with snappy um i thought it was really fun um i mean a big fan of rob reiner a big fan of nor efron um i feel like for a brief time in my life i saw myself as harry as his dark depressed <laughs> individual uh who would read the end of the book of, of a, a book he starts. So I, I would be afraid to, or I wouldn't want to die and not know the ending of this book, basically type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I was, I was doing things that he did. And I feel like in my life, cause what I think is so great about Billy Crystal in this movie is he's like the king of just the comedic look, like the deadpan look in this movie where someone says something, he just kind of looks at them and then does like a turn. And I feel like I tried to do that a lot in my life is the thing <laughs> thinking i was billy crystal as harry burns in this movie but but yeah so i really love this film and it, it is hard coming into it and trying to think critically of it but I, I i'm gonna do my best here um because i think this time 
this time I noticed when watching it, I, I noticed how uh, efficient the movie is. Like how like the, the, the editing of that the film is very um, it's fast paced. It's in and out of scenes usually fairly quickly. Um, and I, so someone asked Reiner like, Oh, like what does Harry and, and, uh, Sally do? Like we never see them like working and like talking about their jobs because, Oh no, they talk about that. I just didn't shoot it. Yeah. Cause <laughs> that wasn't interesting. Um, and so they very much keep it in the kind of love storyline. Um, but yeah, so let's get into the history of how, when Harry met Sally dot, 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 um, got into production. So it was 1984 or, 1985 Efron and Reiner really debate what year actually happened when they finally start talking about this. But Rob Reiner had just released his directorial debut. This is Spinal Tap, which is a critical hit and a minor box office hit. And I think he was either prepping or had started shooting or had already finished up shooting um, The Sure Thing starring John Cusack, another kind of interesting teen rom-com at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. Um, And while his professional life as a director was beginning to take off, his personal life was in the dumps. It had been three years since he and his wife, uh, another talented director, Penny Marshall, had divorced. And since then, he had been living the life of a single man, and it wasn't going that well. He said he went on numerous bad dates and had several disastrous relationships uh, during this time. And in 2017, in the Daily Beast, Reiner said that he had been married for 10 years before his divorce. And during his single life, he was thinking about things like, is sex always a part of the equation? Uh, if it is, can you still be friends? Can you be friends with someone without having sex? So in simple terms, Rob Reiner was confused about relationships between men and women. And he soon began talking with his friend, Nora Ephron. Uh, and Ephron had recently been through a divorce herself with famed journalist Carl Bernstein, mm-hmm. one of the journalists behind the Breaking the Watergate scandal. Uh, and she turned her divorce into uh, a book called Heartburn, which was later turned into a movie in 1983, starring Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson and directed by Mike Nichols. So the first meeting between Efron and Reiner uh, had about a movie actually started with Reiner pitching another movie idea, which Efron quickly rejected. Uh, and Reiner said it was awkward at first because he pitched the movie at lunch before they had even ordered and she rejected it pretty much outright. So they had the entire lunch to be there and be like, so how you doing? Um, and it was him and his producing partner, Andy Scheinman. And soon those two and Nora Ephron began talking about their dating lives. And Ephron was asking them about their lives as single men in, New- in, in, uh, in, in America. Um, the second time they met, Reiner pitched another idea for a movie. And Ephron rejected that one as well, apparently. Um, but before he left, he told her he had this idea about a for a movie that, or an idea that could be a movie about a man and a woman who become friends and they decide not to have sex because they don't want to ruin their friendship, but they do and it ruins the friendship. Uh, he wanted to call it Scenes from a Friendship because he just <laughs> recently seen Ingmar Bergman's Scenes from Marriage and he was inspired by that. Um, then he started asking, kind of telling her the same questions he was asking and Efron was completely down for trying this as a movie. Um, the next time they met again, Efron began interviewing Rob Reiner and his friend, his part, producing partner, Andy, Andrew Scheinman, uh, about their lives. And Reiner said that Efron, as the journalist she was, treated it like she was doing like a big expose or like news article on dating for single men. Um, 
again, Efron was this big news reporter before, journalist before she became a screenwriter. Efron said that the stories that, that Reiner and Scheinman told her about how they treated women on dates was horrifying um, as a woman saying just it, how awkward and how bad they were. And Efron would then write a first draft of the script. And after that, Reiner and Scheinman would give notes. And it seems this process might have happened a lot because Reiner would go off and make Stand By Me and The Princess Bride during this time. Um, Reiner and Efron would say that drafts would just sit there for a long time because of him making these movies, and then he'd give notes when he had time. Uh, Efron said that Reiner was the main inspiration for Harry, but she was the main inspiration, the main basis for uh, Sally. And she was also pulling up, she was pulling stuff from her life, but also her friend's life and putting it into the film. She said in, in the commentary when they're doing the scene um, in Central Park at the restaurant with Carrie Fisher, mm. and, and, and she just goes in the commentary, this is sadly autobiographical. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of stuff was coming from their lives. When it came to things in her life, she said one of the things that she brought she that she pulled was the uh, days of the week underpants and, and underwear. And at, at one point in her life, and she said, "Yeah." And also, I never had Sunday. I don't know why there was no Sunday. <laughs> so there. Um, once Reiner finished up on his films, yeah, they began working on the script. Reiner soon came up with the idea to use interviews of couples as kind of a framing device that runs throughout the movie. He said he was inspired by uh, Sal Horn, the father of Alan Horn, to do this idea. Alan Horn was one of the co-founders of Castle Rock Entertainment with Reiner and Andrew Scheinman, and Horn would later become a top executive at Warner Brothers and Disney. He's now, I believe, a consultant at Warner Discovery. Um, Reiner said that Sal Horn told him how he met his wife, and the story that he told ended up being the first couple in the movie when he says, like, I'm going to marry that girl. And like three weeks later, we were married. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, that was the inspiration behind doing the framing device. Efron would soon begin interviewing other couples that she could find and to u- and using their stories in the, in the uh, script. Um, one of the stories used in the film was actually how her parents met. Uh, so that was the one where, where the guy goes, hi, I'm Ben Smalls of the Coney Island Smalls. Mm-hmm. That was how her parents met. And also Nora Ephron's parents, we talked about this in her, her kind of filmography episode we did like years ago, um, was that her parents were screenwriters and they're from kind of New York area. Um, Reiner initially wanted to use real life couples for these interviews. And Ephron said that would be a terrible idea because act or non-actors telling their stories is just usually boring and they ramble. Uh, I think they shot it initially with real couples and it went so poor they reshot it with Efron writing the scenes to give to real actors. So that happened (laughs) when they were working on the script. Efron had titled the movie, how they met. And that was the initial title for a long while. Also during the first draft of the script, Harry and Sally did not get together in the end. Mm. Actually, Harry, Harry and Sally agree to still be friends, but they never actually start a romantic relationship. Efron would later say, she felt like this was actually the true ending of the film. That's that's really interesting because I feel like that's what sets the tone for what becomes, like we said, like the rom-com. The rom-com yeah. Yeah. Reiner, after the first draft, said that he felt they needed to have Harry and Sally get together, not because he felt like it was right for the story, but he really was better for commercial purposes. It was better for the for like audiences. Oh, we gotta have these two get together. It's a romance film. However, he said because he was so depressed from his divorce and single life, he didn't know how to make this work of them getting together. 
Um, but they still changed it, even though it didn't feel right to even him. He just changed it to hopefully make more money at the box office. That was the initial conceit. <laughs> I'll, it'll, it'll change a little bit later. Uh, soon they'd move the writing process from New York to L.A. Efron says it was during this time that certain key moments and character traits were added to the script. One of the biggest being how Sally orders her food. Reiner wanted that uh, wanted to add that into the script because that's how Efron would order her food when they would go out <laughs> places. Reiner said that Efron was such a great cook, she knew how to make the food better, which is Billy, that Harry kind of says about Sally. She knows how to make the 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 food that the the chef didn't know could be better. Um, also, another key moment that would arise from these writing sessions uh, was at one point Reiner had told Efron, or Reiner said that we told Efron so many different things about our lives, her, him and Andy Scheinman, like secrets of what men do. Um, but she hadn't told them any secrets that women do to men. He said that they needed a, a scene to balance out the scene where Harry tells Sally that once when men have sex, they're thinking about how to get out the door when they're in the airplane. Mm-hmm. And she's like dumbfounded by that. He's like, we have that scene for, for Harry with, for Sally, but we need someone that Sally tells Harry that he doesn't believe. And, and Efron says, um, or Nora said, that's what she told them that women fake orgasms and Reiner quickly responded. Well, not with me. They don't. And Efron said, well, how do you know? How do you know? Of course they have. Uh, and Reiner just did not believe that women faked orgasms. And so it's a very questionable thing nowadays. And he mentions that later on these, these, in these uh, interviews, he brought in some of the female staffers at castle rock and he asked them all, had they faked orgasms before? with their husbands and he's like this would definitely be sexual harassment claim nowadays yes. um and and all of the women said yes and he was just kind of like well okay then i guess it's going in the movie after the writing process had kind of been going reiner began thinking about the cast for the project now he initially wanted to cast his best friend billy crystal but he had hesitation because crystal wasn't really a movie star. Mm-hmm. So Reiner would talk with several other actors like Tom Hanks, Michael Keaton, and Albert Brooks. Some reports say that he offered it to Hanks and he turned it down. Some reports say he offered it to Albert Brooks and he turned it down. I'm not sure if that ever occurred. Either way, Reiner would then decide to cast Billy Crystal because he said the studio making the movie was his studio. So no <laughs> one was going to stop him from casting yeah. his best friend but they would need to find a Sally for Billy's Harry. Uh, And Reiner would start auditioning several actresses around Hollywood. One, the biggest being Molly Ringwald, who was trying to break out of the John Hughes camp and kind of the teen roles that she'd been doing in the 1980s. Um, He also uh, auditioned actresses like Elizabeth Perkins and Elizabeth McGovern Perkins, who had been in big, which starred Tom Hanks and directed by Penny Marshall and McGovern, who had been in, I think she's having a baby at this point by John Hughes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but soon he would cast Meg Ryan, who at this point had only really appeared in Tony Scott's Top Gun uh, and Joe Dante's Inner Space. Uh, he said once he saw Crystal and Ryan together, he realized they had instant chemistry. But Ryan had almost starred in an earlier movie with Billy Crystal uh, because she had auditioned for Dane DeVito's Throw Mama from the Train to be crystal's love interest and Hmm. crystal crystal loved her right then and thought they were great together 
but DeVito felt she was too young to be Billy Crystal's love interest and throw mama from the train. Uh, Crystal asked Reiner in the film's commentary if he would have cast her in this movie if she was actually in DeVito's film, and Reiner thinks he would have. He said he didn't really care about if they had been in a movie together before. I think he's like, I, I didn't really look at that stuff. Um, and But to put this in perspective, with the age difference, Crystal was around 40 years old when they made this movie, and Ryan was around 28 years old. So it was a 12-year difference. Mm-hmm. But once Crystal came on, he began helping with the script part of the film. Uh, Efron began adding several scenes and lines of dialogue that were inspired by Reiner and Crystal's real-life best friendship. Um, one of the scenes she added was how Crystal and Reiner would talk late at night and watch old movies together. Not long after, they would have a read-through of the script with Ryan, Crystal, and the newly cast Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby. After the read-through, Meg Ryan let them know that she could fake an orgasm for the orgasm discussion scene that they, uh, if they wanted her to. <laughs> uh, Reiner thought that would be great, and, Ryan, and Meg Ryan suggested she do it in a public place like a restaurant. Then Billy Crystal said, and I have the perfect punchline, a woman says, I'll have what she's having. And then Reiner says, I know the perfect person to play that, my, my mom. mom. <laughs> so if you can't tell... The film's script was a mix of creative minds, both behind behind the camera and in front of the camera. And with that, let's move on to favorite scenes. So, Thomas, what's one of your favorite scenes or favorite things about this movie? I mean, I think I, I do think the the opening scene is a lot of fun, and I and I think it sets that tone that that kind of sets this apart from. It, it kind of establishes that this is dipping a little bit more into screwball than, than yeah. like we said, than kind of the previous romantic comedies at the time, like mm-hmm. from, you know, us kind of taking the, just kind of taking the, the, you know, the leap of faith of like, Hey, this is Billy Crystal. He's in college. It's like already <laughs> kind of a joke, you know? And then, and then you've yeah, got yeah. like the, the, the physical comedy of the, the grape seeds on the, on the window mm-hmm. and, and, it, yep. it it's already setting this tone of like these are these are real people but it's this is going to get a little sillier than than you might be used to yeah and i think too what it does it does a good job of very early on establishing this movie is from the perspective of both these characters because a lot of rom-coms i mean the ones that uh, and again, it'll keep in comparisons here is, is these earlier Woody Allen films where a lot of them are from the male's perspective mm-hmm. early on and the female comes into it. The, the woman comes into it. But this is pretty much saying this is the perspective of these two people and we're going to follow them the entire time. And the first 10 minutes of the movie is basically here's what the movie is going to be about. I mean, the whole idea of the men and women can't be friends is literally a conversation they have in the car around the 10 minute mark. Mm-hmm. And that's like the thesis of the film that that's going to be explored the entire movie is can these two people be friends without sex getting in the way? Mm-hmm. And also it's a good set. It's a good point to show the growth that will come later with both of them. Cause like Billy Crystal is, is or Harry is dark in the opening part. He's like talking about, Oh, I'm a, I'm a dark, deep individual or whatever, mm-hmm. but it, it can, you can say it kind of feels fake when he's talking about it yeah. but then later on he actually feels like a really depressed individual <laughs> yeah no he's he's, he's college you know he's like college oh, philosophy yeah. class yes uh, exactly exactly so tell me the story of your life 
Uh, he's like, I, I, I spend, I spend moments, I spend every second thinking about death or whatever he says to her mm-hmm. all the time. And then, like, as he gets older, it's like his depress. It's like, it, it, um, Efron said at one point because it was based on Reiner. She's like, yeah, I loved Reiner because he was depressed, but he was fond of his depression. And that's like what Harry becomes later on is that he almost like enjoys being depressed sometimes or enjoys letting you know that he's depressed mm-hmm. a lot of the time of the moaning when he's in the bed or all these different things. Um, but yeah, I love that kind of opening part. And then we get into, when we get that whole section of when they're younger, um, it cuts to them at the airport when it's like six years later is what it is. And what I find fascinating was when I was watching it kind of today is how when they get in the airplane, how their characters just instantly fall back in the same conversation, same mm-hmm. conversation like they had before. And it's, it's weirdly like intimate in a way where like how you can be so open and vulnerable and some, or open at least to this person you've only met one time before six years ago. And they just seem like they know each other, like, like backwards and forwards at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Like Sally is very much like, like really judging Harry the entire time, almost like they're judgmental friends even though they haven't seen each other in six years. It was only for like three days. Uh, and that reminds me of several college friendships I had where it was like, you knew them for like a very short time and then never saw them again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the kind of plane scene, the, the banter they have and Meg Ryan, it shows just what Meg Ryan can do with like a simple line and turn it into something funny mm-hmm. that she can do. Like the, It's the scene when they're talking about that and, and Harry reveals that she's that he's gonna get he's getting married or whatever and she's like who is she and it's almost like <laughs> who is this crazy woman how did you mm-hmm. la- how are you getting married who is this crazy person that's marrying you and it's wonderful all right ne- next for you an- another scene for you or moment and thing for you i think the the uh batting cage is is a yeah. classic one yeah where we're they don't meow yeah yeah and we jump we jump forward and they're they're finally friends and we're kind of getting this thesis of their of their friendship and and mm-hmm. i think it it feels very it feels very sincere billy crystal feels very sincere mm-hmm. in that i think harry feels very sincere and like very excited about it and i think it's it's you know they don't have this big scene where he's like i've changed my mind we can be friends yeah. now it's it's yeah i think it's i think it's really smart from a writing standpoint to have that idea and his change his change of heart introduced to us by having him ex- try and like change um jess's mind right. you know yeah it's like he's listing off all these all these points that that he has learned now but he's like i can tell her anything and 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 it's so refreshing because i'm not trying yeah. to sleep with her and, I, and you've know, got that yeah i can tell her things that and he's like you tell her things you can't tell me and he's like yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i mean i mean i mean when meow to this place it wasn't human you know meow um yeah it's it's almost like it's like it's the it's like the person who's like ventured into the unknown has come back to tell the tale of mm. what it was like oh no we're friends it's great i can talk about this and not be judged it's wonderful um yeah and i also love the beginning of that scene when the just uh, again just again the greatness of billy crystal where you had that scene early on, or that, that scene when the kid comes like hey when are you done he's like i got a whole bunch of covers here i'm playing till the end like he's like <laughs> just so upset with this kid like he just has these great throwaway lines mm-hmm. that are hysterical um 
yeah, a fun fact about that scene. Um, did you notice how Billy Crystal was batting? I did not. So he bats left-handed in the scene. He does not actually bat left-handed in real life. He bats right-handed. And basically, Reiner asked him, hey, can you bat left-handed so I can get a better dial, like a better shot with you two? He's like, okay, I'll try. And and so when you watch it, he doesn't really hit that well, is the thing. And that's because he was batting the opposite hand. Oh, okay. One thing I want to say this. I, I love, I said earlier, I love the editing of this movie. Because I feel like it's, it's like a little over 90 minutes. I feel like it's very quick. And it gets you in and out of scenes very well. It has very nice buttons at the end to get you out of a scene. Mm-hmm. It's like the per- a perfect example is the wagon wheel scene when they've had this again very vulnerable moment. Harry's apologized for 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 yelling at Sally. They're walking back in, and then Bruno Kirby walks out with the wagon wheel. And goes, don't say a word, and then we cut to the next thing, like hard cut to the next thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think I they that. do a I think they do a really good job of establishing early on that you know. Um, we are just peeking in on the most important parts yes of of their lives and their friendship and um they they establish that you know with between with the with that very early like 10 year hop that we get like boom 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 yeah 10 years are gone um you 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 just you have to buy in immediately you're like all right that's yeah. this is not a traditional timeline that we're getting in a film and so then you're, it's just kind of feels organic and they do a yeah. great job like you said the the buttons but also the opening of every scene um yeah they do a great job of of every time you're in it's just these little vignettes and every time you come in you get all the exposition that you need yeah never feels like a you know never feel uh, you know they, they they make fun of it and walk hard with a lot of times when those music biopics are jumping around they'll yeah. be like and now here we are in nashville and it's yeah. 1965 what a crazy year like you you never <laughs> you know you never feel like that in, in this one um because well, then you had like, i think it was right after me that the wagon wheel scene or not long after where it hard cuts to uh the like the game night party mm-hmm. with all the couples yeah and you've and got they're, they're both kind of seeing people but yeah we really don't we don't we're not told like too much about them we just the the main point of the scene is they're each a little jealous that the yeah. other person is seeing someone seriously but but that's yeah. all we need that's all we need to know yeah. and we get in and out and that's that's all we get and kind of the end of the scene is like them when they're, when when again the kind of showcase the kind of four four people in this movie is that you have the carrie fisher meg ryan in the kitchen talking about Hit about Aunt, Aunt, or Emily, Aunt Emily, the, mm-hmm. the the cookie maker, and then Billy Crystal and Bruno Kirby talking about the other guy. And again, it's that kind that's just rapid fire back and forth that like because they're not in the room together, that's being discovered in the editing room of how to jump back and forth. It's like, but Cy doesn't like baseball. He doesn't even like sweets or whatever. It's like this just back and forth of like what what does she have? And and I know Reiner talked about how like a lot of the movie you're seeing it very subtly these characters one starts to have feelings for the other and then they back away because the other one doesn't have it and then another mm-hmm. one comes in and they back away and then at this point you can kind of tell they both kind of have feelings for one another but they don't know if or how they should act on it is the thing and that's the key of like that's why they're jealous is because they they have feelings for the other person but they don't want to ruin it basically um 
and another great one to kind of showcase that is when it's the museum scene when mm-hmm. when Billy Crystal's being like uh pecan pie pick his kind of voice and talking, yeah uh yeah Paprika, yeah but he talked about how and this is true in in the commentary saying how that when you become close with someone that's when you start like adding your like voice you start doing your voices for them mm-hmm. because it's becoming intimate now and he's doing his voice and he kind of dips his toe in the water like at, kind of asking her out on a date of like what are you doing tonight to go to a movie or whatever and then she says that she has plans and he's like, Oh, that's great. But you can tell he kind of feels upset. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, he, he even like comments like, Oh, you should wear skirts more. It really like it. He, he's, he's flirting with her basically in the scene. And they, she does, they don't really know how to, how to take it. It feels like she doesn't know how to take it. Um, but yeah, the, the him doing his voice was a complete, I think improv basically, because if you watch the scene, you'll see Meg Ryan look off camera because mm-hmm. she's looking off to Rob Reiner. Like, should I keep going? <laughs> and they just start riffing on the voices, basically that Billy Crystal does. And it's kind of perfect, perfect scene. And I know Reiner said at one point that he wanted to shoot in like romantic like locations mm-hmm. because the characters don't realize they're in, they're in like a romance, basically like they're unaware of it. So you had that's where you had this like beautiful shot of like the the fall leaves falling down uh when they're walking in like central park and everything and it's it's fantastic mm-hmm. um do you have another scene um i mean we we already covered kind of we talked about the wagon wheel scene but the the surrey with the fringe on top yes the karaoke scene that that whole sequence is perfect to me mm-hmm. I, I think that one's and, and that's i think that's a really good example of of you know sometimes we do get these little vignettes that are just like one scene and I think that's a great one of like a one, two, you've got the, the karaoke, you've got that established of like them being goofy together. And then he gets caught being goofy in front of his ex-wife's new boyfriend. And then he Ira. just, he just carries it into that next scene and just like fumes <laughs> over it until he explodes. <laughs> the stupid Roy Rogers coffee table. <laughs> I thought you liked it. I was being nice. <laughs> and I, I, I think that was the scene that Pixar would later use either for when they, they, they wanted him to play Woody. And I think they used that scene as like the, the template of how, how yeah. to animate Woody was that either that or, or Mike Wazowski for monsters Inc. They use Pixar would use that scene um, for it, but yeah, he it's great. And, and yeah, I love that kind of, again, his looks are just amazing where it, that, that scene starts off when they're arguing about the table, he's looking off the outside, just like, like just completely depressed and he's like, you know, you're gonna be arguing about this for years, uh, uh, or or write your name in your books now, so when you break up, <laughs> you know which ones, you know who's or who's. Um, but yeah, the character scene's great, and then just yeah, you said them being goofy together, um, and playing around, and also just Meg Ryan just and her like awkwardly singing and really commits to it as the song goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fantastic. And then um, I'll ask this. So, also tell me the editing real quick. The the editing's odd too. It's great, but it's it's interesting how they use a lot of different things in it. Where they have the hard cuts from scenes, they have the fade to blacks to from mm-hmm. certain scenes. They even have freeze frames once or twice. They have a freeze frame when they at the new at the New Year's Eve party the first time 
mm. when they when they kind of have the the nice kiss and hug. It's a freeze frame of Billy Crystal's face. I think it fades to black. So it's really interesting how they mix up these techniques to show the kind of passage of time. Um, but one thing I I've always questioned, and I wanted to ask you here that they add is the one time they use Harry's voiceover when he's he's in the bed he's 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 about to go to the new year's eve party at the end oh and he's like yeah. he's like he's like hey this is the best night new year's eve dick clark or, or i wonder who's mm-hmm. on dick clark and he's like the knicks he's like uh, uh, uh final seconds two points or whatever and then he's like walking down the street he's like, oh this is great no one's really out i can do my window shopping and it's just a voiceover in his head and it's always felt a little weird because we've never had that before and we never have it again. Um, as I said, it was weird. I started kind of reasoning why it's there. And I guess the thought process is probably, this is what Harry's life will be like if he doesn't have Sally in his mm. life. Because yeah. he will have no one to talk to and it will just, everything will be in his head from now on. And that's what kind of prompts him to go and get her. Um, and... I think when, when he's walking, I think he's actually walking by Washington Square, which is where he drops her off at, at the opening of the movie. Mm. And that's when it starts cutting back and forth to the, their kind of memories. Um, and that leads to the ending, which I think is just a phenomenal speech by Billy Crystal, I yep. think. Um, when he's kind of telling her how much he loves her and why he loves her. And that's a that's a rom com trope right there. Oh yeah, the final speech the, to go get the, the get the woman. You complete person. me, you know. Yes, yes, it's it's amazing, but it, and and we'll get to how they get to that ending because it wasn't easy. I will say, because but it's it's just a phenomenal line of when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life life with someone, you or somebody you want to re- you want the rest of your life to start right now or start as mm-hmm. soon as possible. I really butchered that. My apologies. Uh, you want the rest of the life, rest of your life to start <laughs> as soon as possible. Um, it's a great line. It's, but it's a great rom-com line. It's like, it's just a really phenomenal line for the genre, but also for the film and Billy Crystal delivers it. Well, in our moments, scenes, cinematography, editing score. You want to talk about, you want to talk about Harry Connick Jr. Score right here. You want to wait for that. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's good. It's good score. It's, I don't, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's just, it's got such a great, you know, obviously, like we said, New York is a is a character here, and and <laughs> uh, New York still kind of has character at this point. You know, it's uh, yeah. This is this is pre Giuliani coming. Yeah, in. yeah, and but it, it, just visually overall, it, it's it's like we've been saying, kind of yes, thematically, it it is the the bridging the gap between uh kind of the 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 romantic comedy and the yeah. rom com. But I think also visually, it, it, it's got that look to it like mm-hmm. it could be a Woody Allen movie or an Albert Brooks movie. It's another, you know, um, kind of Brooks's original stuff that he was doing in the 70s and the 80s as well was was kind of yeah. romantic comedies that weren't rom-coms. Um, yeah. But and it does kind of have the look of those like 70s, 80s New York movies, whereas mm-hmm. some of the, the more modern rom-coms are like very brightly lit and very like very specific color palette and uh, yes yes uh this this one feels feels a little bit more grounded in in the in the earlier kind of indie new york stuff yeah again not not to go with new york as a character but yeah i think a lot of times you see these kind of rom-coms now they're in new york and the locations they use 
feel like there's a lack of character a lot of time. It's like this very clean, like very clean, like slick restaurant. And you're like, eh, <laughs> okay. And, and then when they, when you, it's almost like when they try to be like the New York is a character, it feels up and if end up feels cliche because we've seen it so many times before, like a shot of the empire state building or a shot of, of, of Rockefeller center at Christmas, it just feels like it's been done before. And at this point, I think even though there's been there's been New York rom coms with Woody Allen or whoever beforehand, this has aged well. Where it's just it it it's it, it, you, it, you, they use real locations a lot of time. And at mm-hmm. that point, it wasn't as um it wasn't as covered in movies at this point, or at least at least those movies that work that co- did cover it have not. Um, survived as long, if that makes sense. Mm. Like when Harry Met Sally is like, it's a movie. Everyone compares in the certain movies came before this, but when Harry Met Sally is the one that's kind of lasted the longest, then uh, honestly, and, and gotten a larger audience than a Woody Allen movie or even Albert Brooks film, this has kind of been the perfect mainstream, almost niche comedy in a way uh, that inspired a genre. I'm sorry, Harry. I know it's New Year's Eve. I know you're feeling lonely, but you just can't show up here, tell me you love me, and expect that to make everything all right. It doesn't work this way. Well, how does it work? I don't know, but not this way. How about this way? I love that you get cold when it's 71 degrees out. I love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich. I love that you get a little crinkle above your nose when you're looking at me like I'm nuts. I love that after I spend a day with you, I can still smell your perfume on my clothes. And I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. And it's not because I'm lonely, and it's not because it's New Year's Eve. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Moving on to Onset Life. So the production for the film would begin on August 29th, 1988. And I said this earlier... I believe, but one of the members of the crew here is uh, director of photography, Barry Sonnenfeld. Mm-hmm. Barry Sonnenfeld, who would later direct Men in Black and several Adams Family movies. Uh, Sonnenfeld was a director of photography who had worked with Billy Crystal previously on Throw Mama from the Train. I did not expect Throw Mama from the Train to have such a influential mm. part of this story. Um, but Sonnenfeld had gotten to start working with the Coen brothers, mm-hmm. and he had directed Blood Simple and Raising Arizona. He had also... He also was director of photography on Reiner's ex-wife's film, Penny Marshall, on her movie Big. Mm. So he was really kind of coming up at this point in time. And he 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 wouldn't spend a lot of time being a DP. Maybe seven or so years, it feels like, before he, he transitioned to directing. Um so also during the production's early rehearsal process, uh uh Efron would be present to change the script because she said once the actors get get involved. It adds a whole new layer to the story because they can bring their own ideas to it. One idea that Crystal brought was to the opening sequence when Harry is eating grapes during the road trip. Crystal said that one of his relatives, I believe, his, his uncle or grandfather, would sit in the passenger seat when he was learning how to drive and he would eat grapes and spit them out the, <laughs> spit them out the window. And one time he spit them out, he spat out, spat out the grapes and the window was up and it just like went on the window. He goes, I'll roll the window down and then rolls it down and, start, and continues to spit out grapes. Um, Crystal, I, it, it seems that he would also go kind of method on the movie by keeping himself separate in, a, in another room a lot of the time from the cast and crew. 
so they can get in the lonely mindset of Harry. Hmm. I don't know if that was the whole movie or certain scenes. Um, the one, the big scene, they do a lot of improv on set too. Uh, one of the scenes they improved was the charade scene. Um, hmm. Reiner told Ryan, Reiner told Meg Ryan what her topic was, and the actors then ad libbed the scene with one of the best lines in the movie, "Baby, fi- baby fish mouth." It's great. Um, Who says baby talk? Who says baby yeah, fish baby mouth? T- uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's baby talk's not a phrase, and baby fish mouth is sweeping the nation. Yeah. Uh, and then Bruno Kirby, I love that he's just so like, "What is that? <laughs> that's a baby. That's a baby. No, it's not." He's just like so upset by it. Um, and they said that Bruno Kirby was amazing at like ad libbing and improving in scenes. And they said like one of the other uh improvs he did was when he was talking about his like favorite writer at the four person dinner conversation when they're trying to hook up or set up Met or uh Sally and him. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about his favorite writer. That was apparently all like improv on him talking about his favorite writer. Um but yeah. And so when listening to the film's commentary Reiner and Crystal pointed out two specific scenes that were the hardest to shoot. We actually haven't talked about these two scenes yet. Can you guess which ones they were? Two specific scenes that were hardest to shoot. We have not discussed. I Uh, will say both of these were in one take. I don't know if I noticed. (laughs) One are in here. What, What are they? Okay. The first, the first one is, when Harry and Sally are talking on the moving walkway in the airport. Oh, okay. That long dialogue dialogue scene when they're they're tracking down the walkway. That was all one shot. There was no coverage. Um, and so they had to choreograph camera moves of them moving the camera between people and also uh, Meg and Billy not messing up their lines. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, which was the most difficult scene to shoot in the entire movie was the four-way split-screen phone call between Crystal, oh, Ryan, yeah. Kirby, and Fisher. Um, since each actor was having to take cues from other actors that weren't on the call, they had to run lines to each phone so that everyone could hear the lines of each actor. Um, and it had to be done in one take. They had Kirby and Fisher in, in bed on one set. They had Ryan, uh, Meg Ryan on another set. And they had Billy Crystal on another set. Can you guess how many times they shot the scene? 20. No. Billy Crystal says 61 times. Man, that's Fincher numbers. (laughs) Uh, Reiner said they had it around take 50, but Bruno Kirby messed up the last line of the scene. Oh, no. (laughs) And they had to do 61. And Reiner says they probably only got at max two usable takes from that scene. Wow. So, yeah. Um, and then on to the fake orgasm scene, which is a great scene between Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal. Um, they would film at the famous Cat's Delicatessen, and Reiner had warned his mom, Estelle Reiner, that if the line isn't that funny, it might have to get cut. So he, he warned her that. She said she didn't care because she got to spend the whole day with her son and eat a hot dog at Cat's. Um, they would soon start doing the fake orgasm scene, but Meg Ryan wasn't fully committing or going all out on the scene. And Crystal said he could tell she was nervous because she was having to do this in a room full of strangers. Mm -hmm. Um, Reiner talked with her and she would do it again, but it really didn't get better. 
So for the next take, Reiner took Crystal's spot. He sat across from Meg Ryan at the table, and he would begin banging on the table uh, and I think may moan with her to help her get bigger and bigger as she would do her fake orgasm. And that's the shot you see in the close-up of him. He's banging on the table to get her to kind of get bigger and bigger. Hmm. <laughs> After he finished, he walked over to Billy Crystal, and, and he could t- and Crystal could tell Reiner was a little looked a little odd. And he asked Reiner what was wrong. He said, "I can't believe I just had an orgasm in front of my mom <laughs> or my mother." Um, uh, Nora Ephron would be on set a lot, and she said one of the best things about the production was that they would go to lunch every day at local New York restaurants. And it's fascinating to hear them talk because Billy Crystal would be like, oh yeah, we were on that restaurant over on 22nd. It was, we had just shot this scene. Like, he just knows exactly where everything is um, in the movie um, and what restaurants they went to. And she said that one day she was there and they were shooting the scenes, the scene at the, the, the four way dinner conversation when they're setting everybody up and everything. And um, uh, she says he was blown away by how great they all were and she immediately thought this would be a fantastic film once it got finished then she said later that night she went to see the dailies for the scene they had shot the day before and it was the ending when harry runs into the new year's eve party to get sally and she said it was horrible and she thought the movie now was about to be a massive disaster <laughs> so apparently as i said the original ending for when harry comes to see sally was not working they would reshoot it, and that would not work. And for the sake of this story, I'm going to add a piece of information. Don't know if it had anything to do with it, but it's a good little story here. And it's big for Rob Reiner's personal story. Um, one day, Barry Sonnenfeld invited his friend Michelle Singer to set one day, and she was a photographer, and she was on set during the Wagon Wheel Coffee Table filming, and like I think the scene outside of it when Harry and Sally get into the fight. Um, after the first part of the day, they all broke for lunch and the main cast and crew went to have lunch at the same restaurant that the four characters go to, uh, when they have the kind of four person date or the double date. Um, and they said at lunch, Reiner and Michelle were set across from one another, just like Kirby and Fisher at the table. And in the commentary, Efron Crystal said, it was just like that scene. Michelle and Rob hit it off immediately. And it was like, no one else was in the room. Rob said once he met Michelle, who he would later marry less than a year later and is still married today with to her, uh, he knew that the movie could have the happy ending of Harry and Sally ending up together. So before they shot this, the, the ending a third time, Reiner, Reiner, Crystal, and I assume Efron would discuss what Harry could say to Sally when he sees her at the party. They would pitch ideas out of things he could say. Uh, Billy pitched the line about the crinkle in Ryan's forehead when she was confused or whatever. And Crystal also came up with the final line of when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. So that's a Billy Crystal line right there. Um, Mm. And with that, that leads us to aftermath. Um, When moving into post-production, Reiner was looking for a soundtrack that could match the romantic nature of the film. Reiner wanted to use old standards for it. And Crystal suggested his friend, Mark Scheiman, to serve as a music producer for the soundtrack and also kind of be a composer because Crystal said he was a, a music aficionado. Um, Shyman would also provide a score for the film, as I said. Um, Shyman would later write the music and co-write the lyrics for the hit Broadway musical Hairspray. Um, but besides that, they won other songs by a, a newer or 
or they wanted like a Frank Sinatra type song, but they couldn't really pay for a lot of Frank Sinatra songs. Um, Reiner was given a tape from his friend Bobby Colby, who is the drummer of Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And on the tape was a singer Colby wanted Reiner to listen to, and it was a 21-year-old Harry wow. Connick Jr. Yep. I just oh, thought that he was 21 years old, and he like basically made the the soundtrack to romantic comedies for the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. It feels like, and then um, and then started being in them. Yeah, and then started being in them. Hope <laughs> floats, baby. Hope floats. Um, Reiner was struck by how much uh, Connick sounded just like a young Frank Sinatra, uh, and they would hire him to provide songs to the movie. The soundtrack album would later hit number one at the Billboard Jazz Charts, and it would be top 50 on the Billboard top two, uh, top 200. Um, they would soon begin testing the movie. And kind of the accounts they say is that when they tested the scene, the big scene that everyone laughed at was the fake orgasm scene. And Reiner said that you could tell that all the women were laughing and the men weren't. And they would just start kind of awkwardly laughing at the scene, not really knowing what was going on. Um, Finally, when the movie was released on July 14th, 1989, Columbia wasn't entirely sure what to do with the movie it feels like like they it was a very stacked year i'm gonna get the i'm gonna get the list of films that came out around this time for one batman had just came out around this period in time um which was the big blockbuster and i think billy crystal said he didn't think when harry met would do well because it was such a crowded summer release schedule mm-hmm. lethal weapon 2 came out the week before um license to kill with james bond came out the same week as when harry met sally um, Batman had come out, uh, I believe, a few weeks before. Yeah, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Ghostbusters Two, Star Trek Five, um, Dead Poet Society. So a lot of big films do the right thing. A lot of big films have come out at this point, and he felt that it would be kind of gobbled up by these bigger movies. Mm-hmm. Um, it released on July fourteenth in forty on forty one screens grossing 1.1 million dollars at that point it was the second highest movie to gross that that amount that had been released under 50 screens the number one movie was star wars so if you're making that much money on par with star wars and that many screens it's kind of a big deal um the next week it would go from 41 screens to 775 screens grossing 8.8 million dollars that weekend and soon it would reach to 1,174 screens, grossing $92.8 million against a reported budget of $14.5 million, according to Rob Reiner. Um, but while it overperformed with audiences, the movie received a very mixed reception from critics, like very mixed reception. Um, New York Times said it was often funny, but amazingly hollow, hollow film, kind of saying it was a, a sitcom version of a Woody Allen movie. Um, Variety said the plot was shapeless um, while the leads were entertaining, but some critics praised the film, specifically Roger Ebert, who gave it three out of four stars, saying Reiner was one of the most versatile and best comedy directors working in Hollywood. And he said the opposite of Variety, saying the structure was the most conventional of Reiner's films to that point, and that Ryan, Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal were the big showcase or a big kind of aspect of the film that was as entertaining or whatever um they they actually did have a premiere of the movie in england with the british royals apparently Hmm. and princess diana watched it 
And Reiner said that he was so nervous about the fake orgasm scene. Um, but she noticed that he noticed that she had laughed a little during that scene. And apparently afterwards, I guess she was sitting next to Billy Crystal. She turns to Billy Crystal and says, I would laugh louder, but I know people are looking at me <laughs> during that fake orgasm scene. She would later ask Rob Reiner to get a print of the film so she could watch it at Buckingham Palace with her friends and she could laugh without worrying about people seeing her. <laughs> um, the film would eventually be nominated for one Oscar, which was Best Original Screenplay for Nora Ephron, and it would quickly revitalize the romantic comedy genre, as we've been talking about, and almost every rom-com has since borrowed from this movie. It is considered one of the greatest American comedies and one of the best rom-coms of all time, and it is most recently selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress last year in 2022. So mm -hmm. its legacy continues to grow. Um, and that leads me to ask Thomas, what worked about When Harry Met Sally? Uh, I think, first off, Meg Ryan. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, Billy Crystal, you know, he wasn't a movie star at that point, but I think he was a little bit more kind of proven. He was more seasoned. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he'd been working since the 70s. Yeah. And, and, and he's, he's got that reputation, you know, not not as much as Robin Williams, but he does have that reputation of like someone who's just kind of always on, you know, he's just, he's like always riffing. He, he's just kind of bouncing off the walls kind of energy. So to take a very inexperienced actress and put her up against him and be like, okay, hold your own is insane. It's, it's, it's a, it's a huge task. And, and she absolutely does. Um, I, I think their, their chemistry is, is so, good here it's tr it truly sells that they are friends like you mm -hmm. they feel so comfortable with each other like every step of their like hating each other to becoming friends to being somewhat attracted to each other to being in love it just it, it all works and and yeah. as kind of there there is a world in which this movie comes off as completely disjointed and and it doesn't and i think part of that is that the, the performance between the two of them sells the the transitions of their relationship yeah you see them when they're young and kind of finding themselves as people and then in their mid-20s and they think they know everything but don't and then they hit their early 30s like okay i've learned a lot in my life now um they're more mm -hmm. mature and they're able to be more open and vulnerable with one another and there's this great push and pull as you said like of when one becomes attracted to the other and they just kind of flip-flop for a little bit, and then finally it happens. Um, yeah, their chemistry is fantastic. I think from... I, I mean, I if I'm Danny DeVito, I don't know why I don't cast her and throw my mom from the train <laughs> if this if their chemistry was this great in mm -hmm. that audition. Um, and I do wonder, even though Reiner says he would have cast her, would he have cast her if they were in a movie previously together? I don't know. I don't know. That, that obviously... Um, that that. You know, as you get later into the rom-com era, that that is like a, a point of appeal. You know, that's yes. like they're back. They're, they're they're back. They're in something together again. Well, and that was always like that with with Catherine Hepburn and yeah. Spencer yeah, Tracy yeah. Mm -hmm. or William Powell and Myrna Loy, um, uh, Rock Hudson and Doris Day. Um, that was like oh, the this to them that's the IP. Mm -hmm. The duo is the IP. Um, the do du the duo of Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan by you've got mail that's the ip mm -hmm. is is the thing um but yeah the chemistry's great i said i think the editing is fantastic i think reiner directs the movie incredibly well again i think his run i said before i'll say it again is i think his five movie run 
is one of the best runs of any American director. It's it's insane of how different every movie is, and it's almost shocking that he does this amazing five movie run and kind of not to discredit any of his movies afterwards, but never kind of matches mm-hmm. it again. Like he made good movies after it. I think American President's good. I think flipped from like the 2010. Like, uh, <laughs> I think you're the only person who thinks that. <laughs> no, I am not. I am not. It has a 3.8 on Letterboxd, sir. Oh, okay. I am shocked that it has that high of a score. Ebert gave it four. I was. Stars. I was. That was one. I. That was. I, I don't often listen to critics, but that was one. Like I was gonna see that one, and then it just like got torn apart in reviews, and then I was just like, yeah, I'm not gonna see it anymore. I, me and me and Roger Ebert were on the same page from day one on that movie. Okay. So. I'm just, I, I, I'm shocked it has such a high score on Letterbox. Honestly, it's not a letter, it's not a Letterbox film, but it's. Let me see what's at. I just, I just want to make sure I don't get this wrong, um, because I want to give flipped its due. I'm like, I'm, I'm on that train of flipped. Um, where are we at? Yeah, flipped. Three point eight. Yeah, currently streaming on HBO Max. Uh. The top comment on Letterbox is for flipped is what do y'all need beds for when y'all already sleeping on this? So <laughs> there you go. Um, so go watch flipped. Um, but yeah, I think he it's it's even with that he he never really tops it in that way again. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I think Efron, I think it this kind of becomes for the. For better or worse, it kind of like Nor Ephron becomes synonymous with romantic comedies or romance films after this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do wish we talked about this when we talked about her in 2020, I believe, uh, with her filmography. I do wish we got more like Silkwood type movies from her. Mm-hmm. I think Silkwood is a phenomenal film and she does a great job with it. And we never really see her venture into that world again. No. She kind of stays in this world a lot of the time, um, but she does it incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Is the thing, um, and again, I think the supporting players here with Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher are amazing. Yeah, that's another again, when, when we're talking, kind of like what template this movie sets for the rom com. Yes. It's it's you know you've all every each the the guy and the girl both have to have a best friend, and yep. this and I think a lot of that comes back to not just how well it's done in this movie, but how good the two of them are in this movie. Yes. Yes. I agree. And again, I love the scene we talked about this, but I love the scene when they're, when they're walking away from the dinner and they're talking to like, uh, Bruno Kirby's talking to Billy Christmas. Hey, like, is it cool if I, if I call mm-hmm. Marie and he's like, yeah, yeah, give it a little bit. And then, and then, and then, uh, Marie's like, Hey, can I, can I, can I call Jess at some point? Yeah. yeah. Just, I'll just nail like, it. I'm going to get a cab. Harry. I'm coming with you. Oh, I'm too. And it's just the, the fast cab. All right, great. And they're gone. They're yeah. just sitting there like, oh, okay. Yeah. Can't say, but also again, again, to Reiner's credit as director in that scene previously, when they're at the table, he has those two great close-ups of crystal of Billy crystal and Meg Ryan looking at one another and realizing what's happening and they can't stop it like the, these two mm-hmm. are going to be together and we can't stop it. Let's not get in the way. And their whole plan of introducing them to one another so they can all be friends. It goes a different way than what they were expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anything else that worked? Um, no, I think, I think we've pretty much nailed it. Okay. All right, Thomas, let's go into it. Let's 
give me your give me your did anything not work all right this is my big I'm, thing I, i'm i'm biased so so i understand I'm this is my big you. thing i came away with on trying to watch this movie objectively this time does does the orgasm scene make sense narratively <laughs> would sally do that just to prove a point to Harry in the middle of a crowded restaurant would is that true? Is that scene true to her character? It's an interesting question. That's an interesting question, Thomas. That is a very interesting question. Because I mean, even later on when we're getting the the like uh, karaoke scene, he has to like work her up to to do it. Yeah, that's a fair question. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push it away. Um. Yeah, she she tends to be I don't know. I don't know. I I but to argue for it maybe because they've I don't know. Maybe they've gotten so close she feels like she can do that mm-hmm. and I I don't know. I don't know. It, it it I I get the point there. Um but I think she might go that far to prove a point to him. That's a that's a tough question. What what are you what are you landing on? That's just, are you landing that's, on that's, are we you have, landing on that? We have at least two scenes before and after of of him like trying to pull her into his antics, and I think yes. if, if we didn't have the the way the karaoke scene works later on, maybe if that I mean I know I know that can't take place before it it's almost it's almost like it breaks the rule of threes because we've got the like pepper cash scene and and you know she's she goes along with him and she's giggling, but, but you know, the way that she's kind of looking at, at Rob Reiner in, in real life kind of yeah. plays like, you know, are people around? What are we, are we goofing off yeah, in this that's museum? True, that's true. That's true. And, and she does, she kind of responds to the karaoke scene in the same way. And then ultimately joins in with him. But it's, it, it's every time we see it, it's like him trying to like kind of pull, pull it out of her. And I mean, it, it, it is kind of a rom-com trope of like kind of the fun loving guy and like the uptight, girl but um it it does feel a little drastic to go from this conversation they're having to like i am going to be so loud that everything in this restaurant stops and every single person is looking at me and i'm i'm just i I prove my point and like the way she kind of very smugly is like all right that's it i prove my point i was like i the i don't know that doesn't i i don't know that that rings true to her character for me I, I, that's fair. Let me give you a scene, and you and I think it helps your argument, but also it could it could hurt your argument depending. Um, it's the scene when they're at Marie and Jess's wedding, and they're having their argument in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. And what she does is she takes him, like she literally. Yeah, shoes she's like, I'm not doing this here. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's bring him out, mm-hmm. and she gets him into another room, and then she keeps going to another room. So, so finally, she's in a room with other people, though. Mm-hmm. With the cooks and everything, but it's not people she knows. It's not people she knows. It's, it's strangers, and that's when she fully lets loose in front of Billy Crystal, mm-hmm. and she ends up slapping him in front of people that she doesn't know. So, does that mean is she willing to do that to prove a point? Is she willing to go that far, even if there's people she doesn't know in in, in the room? Does that make sense? Yeah. I, that, that was a word. That was a re- weirdly worded sentence. I feel like yeah. um, she does go that far at some point because of, but it is a smaller room. Mm-hmm. It's people she does not know. 
Um, and it's also later into there. That, that, yeah. that, that's that's the thing to me. Like I think it, the where it occurs within their like friendship arc and within her personal arc feels mm -hmm. feels like she's not quite there yet. Um, now I will say this because they they uh, Nor Efron talked about how when she was on a plane back when you would go on a plane. And they'd show one movie. Mm -hmm. I never, I never experienced this. Um, I, I, I did. I saw that was, that was, uh, I was five, maybe six. Uh -huh. We flew to Hawaii, and I watched uh, Life Is Beautiful. <laughs> it was the only movie showing on the flight to Hawaii. Oh my god! What a pick! What a pick <laughs> for a movie! Oh man! Um. Yeah, but Nora Ephron talked about how when she was on a plane, they were playing that movie, and they cut out the orgasm scene. Hmm. And it just ends with, with Meg Ryan saying, women fake orgasms. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And then it doesn't show her doing the orgasm, and it moves on. And she said everyone on the plane, like, like sighed or was upset by it being cut. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, she that's, and, and, I think that's, that's also kind of the reason that, that like not a lot of people have brought up like does it's such an iconic scene that you don't stop yeah. to think like does this make sense and and i think it completely makes sense for the character that that she feels very strongly about convincing hair you know it, it, it it's the you know she has has is always kind of disgusted in a in a in a fun way but with with you know yeah. harry's harry's sex life and his thoughts about women and 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 yeah. you know it, it it completely makes sense that when he he thinks he's this you know ladies man and then he's like yeah they don't fake with with me it's like absolutely yeah. she would feel strongly about yeah. proving him wrong but i just i just don't know if if sally at that point in her life at that point in the movie feels strongly enough to bring an entire restaurant to a to a halt i don't know i i i lean on the side that i think she would just to prove a point I think she would do that. Mm -hmm. Well, and um, I, I think again, like we kind of talked about the, the, the way I, I think that is where this movie threads between kind of the more realistic romantic comedies and the mm -hmm. more screwball type sensibilities. Um, and when, you know, we talked about it with just kind of being like, okay, yes, that is a 20 year old Billy Crystal. Um, <laughs> this might just i think the reason that that this scene that nobody asks that question that often and then that in nitpicking we can bring it up is because it, it does this the, the the movie does dip enough into ridiculousness or or, or a mm -hmm. sense of a sense of not quite reality that that we're just like yeah this is really funny the bit mm -hmm. works and cool yeah. i'm gonna buy it okay uh is there anything else that didn't work for you uh i don't know i just got weird vibes from harry watching watching it this time around <laughs> during which section um it, it's just and, and and you know i think he he's got his big speech i, I think he just he, he comes off as a very selfish person in a way that i hadn't really yes. uh noticed before i think he's very selfish about their relationship um Mm -hmm. in a way that she is not she she never really gives that energy into it um mm -hmm. and i don't know that that i feel fully i don't i don't i don't know that the that the movie itself even feels it fully and that in that yeah. it needs to be something that is like learned or redeemed by the end like he 
you very obviously within the movie they both have to learn that they're in love with each other and that's okay and he yeah. has to learn you know not to you, there, there's the very obvious problems of like you you can't hop out of bed and, and leave in the morning like you do with with most women but yeah but I, I do think it's kind of held up within the movie that their like friendship is is kind of perfect before the sex ruins it and i mm-hmm. do think he's a i don't know he feels like a little a little toxic within their friendship even before that happens but i think that's also just okay. looking back on 1980s sensibilities with a modern eye yeah I, I mean, it's it's the it's the it's the conversation of Rob Ryan bringing in women to ask them do they fake orgasms. Yeah. It's like the, the sensibilities are not all not fully there. Yes, but it's so close, which is why I, I'm able yeah. to like pick yeah. uh, uh, pick nits here. Give it, yeah, give it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, anything else from the film facts? That's all I got. Okay. I tried. All right, I tried really That's... watching it objectively this time. That's what I came away with. Well, I I, I appreciate it. And 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 they're 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 valid points. I I I mean I think the, the the orgasm question, the fake orgasm scene, narratively is a, is an interesting question um, that I never really heard asked. So I think it's a a good one to bring up. Um, all right, film facts. So uh, first off, the the guy who talks about nine extra, fl- I went up nine extra floors to um to talk with her was apparently Bernie Hearn is his name. He was Carl Reiner's best man at their at his wedding. Is what it was. Hmm. Before deciding on the title when Harry met Sally, screenwriter Norder Efron, Andrew Scheidman, and director Rob Reiner considered these titles: Just Friends, Playing Mel- Playing Melancholy Baby, <laughs> Boy Boy Meets Girl, Blue Moon, Words of Love, It Had to Be You, How They Met was an was an original title, and Harry, This Is Sally. Uh, mm. Reiner Reiner even started a contest with the crew during principal photography. Whoever came up with a little, the, whoever came up with a title for the movie won a case of champagne. <laughs> Harry, this is Sally was Nora Ephron's favorite. And I, I like I like it had to be you, and I I, I do like when you're talking about uh, the Harry Connick Jr. I like that like mashup of it had to be you and let's call the whole thing off that they do. Yeah. Over the end credits, but I think that's a, a yeah. very apt song to you know mm-hmm. that, that fits to uh yeah to what's let's going be together. on together let's not let's be together let's not um yeah uh reiner said that he didn't love when harry met sally until they add the ellipses at the end mm-hmm. the dot 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 he's like i he goes i really fight for the dot 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 and nor efron's like i don't know what you're talking about i don't know why it matters <laughs> he's like no, no no it's great it shows there's, there's more to come let's see what else they have oh tracy reiner Rob Reiner's adopted daughter, uh, Penny Marshall's daughter, who is based spaghetti and leave their own, plays Harry's girlfriend during the charades scene. Mm, yep. Um, Crystal said he felt awkward because he has to kiss her and they're dating when he had like known her since she was like a child. <laughs> he was like, this is really weird. The bookstore where Sally and Harry meet the third time was a bookstore called Shakespeare and Company. It was part of a small like local chain, I believe. Mm-hmm. It would later close down in 1996 due to Barnes and Noble moving in next door and essentially putting it out of business. What does that sound like to you, Thomas? Uh, it sounds like you've got mail. That would be the ins- uh, allegedly be the inspiration uh, for the plot if you've got mail, because I believe the Fox Bookstore and you've got mail is actually the Barnes and Noble that actually moved next door to this the store and they actually shot there at that Barnes and Noble. 
Joe, Sally's ex-boyfriend, was played by Stephen Ford, who is the son of President Gerald Ford. Oh, Nepo babies. Nepo babies. Uh. I give I give Reiner credit. He he does a good job of casting these like extra roles and small roles. Like they all have very distinct faces. Mm-hmm. And if it's the if it's like the waitress in the roadside diner, if it's all the faces at the cat's del- delicatessen when she's having the orgasm, um, there's a lot of great faces uh, in this movie. Um, a play there was a play for this mo- movie made in 2004 starring Luke Perry and Allison Hannigan. Uh, it would then later be done. Uh, uh, they would be they would later be replaced with Michael Lands and Molly Ringwald, who had auditioned <laughs> for the play or the movie initially. <laughs> um, last thing, Crystal and Efron would meet several times after this movie, uh, and I assume probably Reiner as well, to discuss a possible sequel for a movie. Soon they asked the question, "But why?" and they would never come up with a good answer. <laughs> and that and that leads me to ask you, Thomas. Why are sequels to rom-coms not really a good thing, or why are they not possible most of the time? Uh, really, romance romance films in general, actually. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the thrill of a of a romance movie is obviously seeing them get together, and mm-hmm. so it there's there's romantic comedies, and then there's comedies of divorce, um, and so you pretty much have to if you're going to do a second one, you pretty much kind of have to break them up again, and. Yeah you if if we've just spent this whole movie if it's a like beloved movie that we've watched people get together and we don't want to see them break up even if we know they're going to get back together at the end of the second one we don't really want to see them break up in the first place um it just feels weird which is why i refuse to acknowledge that jewel of the nile exists (laughs) um, because i love romancing the stone and then we mm-hmm. just drop us into jewel in the nile and they're like oh yeah they haven't seen each other for six months they broke up i'm like oh yeah. why well so if you that happens a lot with like i, I noticed now like those romantic advent like romantic comedy slash adventure movies so two more examples you have romance in the stone um mask mm-hmm. of zorro leads the mm-hmm. legend of zorro where they're getting divorced or whatever yep. mm-hmm. um Another one, National Treasure one to two. Yes, yep. That, n- another one where they're like they're like ending it here, happily happy ending. They're moving this new house. They're together, and the second one like, oh no, we've we've broken up. Yeah, she got the house. It's very hard. Um, all right, awards. The Beatrice Red Award, actor, actress, limit scenes that kills it. Hmm. Who count? Who counts as limited in in, in this one? Everyone but the top four. All right, uh, I might be tempted to go with Gerald Ford's kid because he's very he's very much a Joe. He is like <laughs> just feels like a like a Joe. Um, he's just also, he, he's the kind of guy that you like don't want to be the lead in a in a romantic comedy. You know, it's <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I love him. Um, quickly they don't have much but i do again talk about faces i love i love helen just the big hair mm-hmm. like as right when she walks in you know yeah they weren't ever gonna work out mm-hmm. they were not of the same ilk basically um i mean i i love estelle reiner as the mom with the one punch line and, and we're in and out mm-hmm. it's it's iconic we're probably yeah i might, we'll probably have to give it to her it is one of the most <laughs> famous lines ever so and she delivers, Thomas. Mm-hmm. She delivers. I'll have what she has. She's having. It's great. 
Yes! Yes! Oh! 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 Oh, God! Oh! I'll have what she's having. Annie Potts X Factor Award supporting actor actresses the most memorable. I've I've got to go Carrie Fisher. Bruno Kirby is very very good in this, but I think every every rom com best friend for the rest of the genre is chasing Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Carrie Fisher. I think she has some of the best lines in the movie or or, or, i of the two of the two people of bruno kirby and her kirby i think is great i think she's she's got a little bit more character than than jess she's got that great like oh he's never leaving her he's never leaving her when when, when we when we get when we finally get together are we gonna stop being friends he's like he's never leaving her he's never leaving (laughs) and i also love that one when she starts going through her rolodex when they're at the Mm -hmm. at the the lunch and she goes i have the perfect guy for you and she says like he's married oh married and then like she like like, folds a tab in it instead of like throwing it away yeah Yeah, it's it's like because 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 she's like because even when they're at the shakespearean company she's like oh he's married how do you know well last time when i met him he was getting married well that could have changed like she's like very much just like after like trying to find that person for for herself and everyone and i think yeah she's really like trying to get someone i love the line it's at the end when they're at the new year's eve party and meg ryan's like talking to that random guy and she's like doing the uh, the, the fake laugh ah, ha, 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 and turns up she's like, i'm leaving she goes you'll never get a taxi yeah like just the, just the line she has is it's like she's she's sharp carrie fisher was mm-hmm. a, was i think just a, a sharp intelligent funny individual mm-hmm. um but yeah i think i think she's she's uh annie potts here what did the card say please say yes love jonathan did it work he never even came over he forgot this charity thing that his wife is chairman of he's never gonna leave her of course he isn't you're right you're right i know you're right where is this place somewhere in the next block oh i can't believe i'm doing this look Harry is one of my best friends, and you are one of my best friends. And if by some chance you two hit it off, then we could all still be friends instead of drifting apart the way you do when you get involved with someone who doesn't know your friends. You and I haven't drifted apart since I started seeing Arthur. If Arthur ever left his wife and I actually met him, I am sure that you and I would drift apart. He's never going to leave her. Of course he isn't. You're right, you're right. I know you're right. The Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie, director, actor, writer, etc. That's a tough one. This is this this is one of the toughest I've had to I, I have could to give say. it to four yeah. people easily. And and I can't honestly I can't land on one without thinking like, oh, but like I, you can't give it to Rob Reiner without thinking about Nora Ephron. You can't give it to Nora Ephron without thinking about Rob Reiner. You can't give it to Billy Crystal without giving it to meg ryan it's it's yeah it's because like because not even just that because like billy crystal also adds a little bit to the writing aspect we're mm-hmm. like oh he has some he i think two of the best lines in the movie it's the punchline of i'll have what she's having and i want to you want you want to spend the rest of your life with someone as soon as possible both his lines um but ryan has this incredible ease with her with her with her performance um as you said, against against someone who had, had been in the business for a while, she's younger, 
hasn't this is like kind of her first real leading role it feels like mm-hmm. um it's funny because i feel like we've given it to reiner for both stand by me and a few good men because what i end up always reasoning with is that if you're the captain of the ship and you're helming it the responsibility always lands with you um the hard part is that i think Nora efron's voice is so strong mm-hmm. in this movie which makes me say I'm going to say Nora Ephron because this becomes her career, I think, most of the time, mm-hmm. which makes me say her voice is possibly the strongest here. And Reiner does know how to blend it all and, and make it work. Mm-hmm. But who who who's who's the mvp of the bulls is it phil jackson because he can coach michael jordan or is it michael jordan because he's an amazing player yeah well and and i think in this situation and for this month you know just to to set the template and then for Nora Ephron to go on and like continue to work within that template yes. and continue to kind of innovate within that template i think is is huge yes because i i was reiner would do several rom-coms after this and never would reach the heights that it happens here. Like he would do like Alex and Emma and I'm not saying they're bad movies, but he'd do Alex <laughs> and Emma, the story of us rumor has it. Um, but they never reached the heights of even American president. Um, never really reached the heights of this movie, which makes me think Efron's voice was so strong that I think when you look at the movie, and people are asking who directed it or or who wrote it. I think her name will be more synonymous with this movie than he will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think, at the end, I think at the end of the day, if you're it's it's by an eh, it's by a hair, I think. But I think she her impact is becomes very well known after this film mm-hmm. where I think everyone I said everyone is chasing the tropes she sets up with the friends of the kind of structure of the best friends become which is his reiner's idea but she still she ends up taking reiner's ideas and molds it into something yeah and reiner is involved for sure but it sounds like out of the movies we've done before reiner was a little less involved in the writing process than the other ones because i think she was so strong and experienced at this point that's my reasoning for nora efron yep. here so, i'll back it but i i came into here not knowing who to go for <laughs> who to go for. it was insane i could I, I was i was preparing myself in my mind to make an argument for crystal and ryan together but i, I like i like efron specifically for this month we got to get ourselves into I the, the rom-com I, mindset i I, re- I really do think i mentioned this on the on a i keep throwing pop culture references here but i mentioned this on, on the patreon for the elvis comeback special is that there was kind of before Elvis and after Elvis. And I think with the rom-com genre, there's before when Harry met Sally and after when Harry met Sally. Mm-hmm. And I think Efron is kind of the key person in that because she would, again, as I said, we'd said she would do other films similar to this, um, either as a rom-com or just comedy in general, have a similar style to this 
would not land as well, but I think I think sh- her voice is still as strong, is the strongest thing of the movie. You realize, of course, that we could never be friends. Why not? What I'm saying is, and this is not a come on in any way, shape, or form, is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. That's not true. I have a number of men friends and there is no sex involved. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. You only think you do. You're saying I'm having sex with these men without my knowledge? No, what I'm saying is they all want to have sex with you. They do not. Do too. They do not. Do too. How do you know? Because no man can be friends with a woman that he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. So you're saying that a man can be friends with a woman he finds unattractive? No, you pretty much want to nail them, too. What if they don't want to have sex with you? Doesn't matter, because the sex thing is already out there, so the friendship is ultimately doomed, and that is the end of the story. Final questions. If this movie was remade today, Thomas, who do you cast? Oh, man. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, the e- an easy one is like, do you put Zoe Deutsch's Sally? Like, that's the... Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, is, is she, I mean... So I know she's trying to be the kind of, with, with several of her rom-coms of late, with the, the set, set it up being the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I know uh, something from Tiffany's. Um, you know who I'd love to see in just a, a straight up rom com? Mm-hmm. Haley Steinfeld. I like that. Hell, hell, she's yeah, she's yeah, she's twenty six. I mean, Zoe Deutsch is also actually young, younger as well too. Um, she's ni- She's twenty eight. She's the same age as Meg Ryan was yeah. for this movie. I'd buy that. Okay, I so Zoe Deutsch. Zoe not, Deutsch. So, not shocking there on that one. Uh. Do we, I don't I don't think I don't know I'm sorry to Glenn Powell I love Glenn Powell I don't know I don't if, think he's Harry I don't think I don't he's, think a he's Harry. Harry no I don't think he's a Harry who's got Harry energy these days um here's a question is hmm one a really good rom com I think is What If with Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan hmm. is Daniel Radcliffe could he be a Harry I could definitely see him as a Harry. Like and, and if you wanted a one to one of like a stand up or whatever, is there like? I don't. I mean, I haven't um, seen. Oh man, I have not seen Jared Carmichael's movie from last year, but I know people really liked it. Uh, one, uh, uh, on the count of three, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a dark film, <laughs> <laughs> and I love Gerard Carmichael. Um, I don't know if he's hairy. He might be a great Pruno Kirby, mm, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right now, Dan Radcliffe's not. Is it Adam Brody? No? That's, uh, that's that's too much of an age gap. I'd feel weird about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not Adam Brody. Um, Radcliffe's the closest in age. Um, 33, 28. I, that's a age gap. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a five-year age gap. That's fine. I mean Jack Quaid, keep it in the family. I I like I like Jack Quaid. I just, I don't know if he's. I don't know if I'd buy him as Harry. You should watch Plus One. Okay. You should watch Plus One. I want to see what you think of Plus One because I think he's really good in that. Because shout shout Plus One I think on Hulu right now. 
Billy Crystal's got that very interesting combo of like, he's got the kind of Albert Brooks neuroticism, but he's also a ladies man in this. It's, it's a weird combo. Like we're so used to, I I think heading into this movie, you're so used to the kind of Albert Brooks, Mm -hmm. uh, Woody Allen kind of neurotic New York man. And and there's, there's flavors of that in, in, in Harry, but it's not, it doesn't completely, like I like I like you, you know, you brought up Jesse Eisenberg, but I'm like, I don't know if I would put Jesse Eisenberg in this because I don't know if I would buy mm. that duality from him. Daniel Radcliffe, I could I could I could see that okay. um, like someone like Glenn Powell would just it, they'd have to go out of their way to convince me of the because you can't be like super good looking in this role. Um, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Glenn Powell, you're just too handsome for this. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I agree. I agree. So let's go to Dan Radcliffe. Okay. Let's 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 do it. Um do we have any best friends? I I'm just throwing out there someone who I absolutely need to see in a rom com best friend role. I and actually I think she's uh is she been in uh has she been give me one second. What was the show she was in that I worked oh uh No Activity is the first thing I saw her in, but uh Sunita Mani. She was in uh, Glow, and she was just in uh, oh, yeah, Spirited. Yeah, she yeah um, she's also briefly in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, she's the she's the the fingers on the TV. Oh she's yeah, the yeah. On the TV. I thought she was hilarious in Spirited. I thought she was great, but I also really liked her. No Activity was was flew under the radar, but was a really really fun show. Yeah. Okay, Sunita Mani. Now I yeah, I haven't seen no activity. And I'm looking at it is 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 Jesse Plemons Bruno Kirby is the question now I'm seeing this. <laughs> Absolutely, I'd buy that one hundred percent. I watch Jesse Plemons in literally anything. Okay, so Jesse Plemons is as as uh as Jess. I could see him being like the writer who's who's at that table talking about his favorite writer. Okay. Um, all right. Let's quickly finish this off. Does this film fit with any other genres? Um, I, I mean, you know, we've kind of talked about it in the whole episode, but it is that kind of weird blend of that earlier, just just kind of comedy or humanistic comedy, really. And, and then it's got a little bit of screwball and, and then it's all kind of coming together to create rom-com. So, it, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of everything. And I think it's the, the closest to like real that 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 kind of 70s New York Ro- romance comedy that that the the rom-com will ever be yeah i mean it's that it's that perfect bridge the two of that era into now i mean speaking of that like is in is it a new york movie which is classified oh, yes. as a new york movie yes new york you could say that I, new york I, is is the third character in their story yeah, yeah, yeah. oh the fifth character really when you think about it, there's, <laughs> there's four i mean some people got to me when i'm like oh it's a new york movie well that's not really a genre i was like ah, it can be <laughs> it plays a part there's, I, I, I was like, I was like, yeah, I was, I, I argued, I was like, yeah, a New York movie is very different than an LA movie. Mm-hmm. Does that, I, that should right out, out of the gate say that should be a specific genre if you're saying a New York movie is very different than an LA movie, or a New Orleans movie is a very different movie than a New York or LA mm-hmm. movie or whatever. It's like that's very key. Um, so yeah, I would, I would put it in that. And then how does this film fit with the romantic comedy genre? 
I mean, I think, you know, at this point, I think we're, we've, we've talked yeah. about it so much in this episode, but just bullet yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, I think this launches it. I think yeah. like, like we said, you could say, Oh, romantic comedies have existed for forever. But as, as far as the like modern rom-com, I think this yeah. lays the groundwork for everything that comes after it. Yeah. Well, I think because again, Efron being her parents were, were Hollywood screenwriters that wrote like things like Dex, a desk set with the, Catherine Hepburn and Spencer, Spencer Tracy, mm-hmm. she was aware of what that formula was. And I think she was able to modernize it in a certain way. Yep. Um, so it's, and that's why it's kind of the perfect blend of a modern con- or a contemporary take, at least at that point. And I feel, I still think this film feel, feels very modern. A lot of stuff I talk about still feels very modern. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes these older, those screwball comedy sensibilities and putting it into this. So that's why I think it, it kind of, perfect combination of everything yep um well all right that is it on when harry met side we kind of you know, we talked about previously on a nor efron episode so many years ago it's hard to remember what all we talked about on that show <laughs> but it's there it's there somewhere online if you want to go check it out um you probably hear some of the same stuff we talked about today i don't know um but yeah uh this month we are talking about a lot of rom-coms um now we're doing some patreon stuff but i've just we just found out today we're doing a, a, a a uh, 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 supporting player hall of fame of the rom-com so get ready for that um either this month or beginning of march i know we're going to do our favorite films of 2022 so stay tuned for that um so if you're not on the patreon please be sure to do so uh, we just did some concert films last or concert tv specials last month so uh again for those that have been supportive of that thank you so much it really helps us out uh to the people who are giving kind of money to us every month the tiers are one dollar five dollar ten dollar um it's exciting that we're doing that and we love kind of talking about movies and entertainment so uh, the patreon gives us a chance to do more of that and we hope you enjoy it so please if you can go check that out support us because it helps us continue the show in its current format um but the rest of this month on the main show we're talking about other rom-coms next or as the month goes on we're talking about the wedding singer when david's coming back on we're talking about the wedding singer we're ending the month with richard curtis movies so that's Notting hill four weddings and a funeral um uh bridget jones diary but next week thomas what are we talking about talking about a a what i think is one of the best to come out of the kind of rebirth era in the like 2010s but we're talking yeah. about crazy stupid love yeah you you you've mentioned this a lot i think on several shows and i think now you finally got a chance to talk about it yeah that's what it is and you know how much we love ryan gosling Mm -hmm. so let's go i'm in uh let's see is it streaming anywhere is the question let me it was on hbo max it wasn't hbo max up until Um, christmas around christmas time as was when harry met sally and it's no longer (laughs) now it's gone uh it is currently streaming nowhere oh great (laughs) <laughs> but uh you can probably find it rented on uh amazon yeah it's you can rent on amazon for 199 and and sd probably uh and everywhere else 399 on hd so if you can go to that or if you have a physical copy of it you know what rent that if you have a video <laughs> store nearby if you're in la if you're in atlanta if you're in austin if you're in memphis there's video stores there go check it out i caught it on um, a flight recently so you know if you just want to hop a hop a quick go hop, go hop a two-hour flight yep go somewhere nice you know pick whatever i don't know um travel that's the big key travel <laughs> you can but that's all we have for this episode if you have any questions for us feel free to contact us at Sin Nation Podcast at gmail.com 
Send your questions, comments, all that good stuff. Um, also, if you're a new listener of the show or if you're a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us yet, what are you doing? Uh, subscribe to us now to stay updated on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform. We're spreading the love this month, guys. It's February. We're doing rom-coms. Spread the love with a five-star review. Yeah. Tell your friends, especially the friends you really care about that you might want to be in love with. I don't know. <laughs> do what you want to do. Um, and finally, don't forget to land follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and TikTok. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. We hope you listen. Our- and thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.